I bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight every crooked path. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In this broadcast, we shall be discussing the baptism in the body, being the first of four baptisms that every Christian must experience. In our last broadcast, we had noted that the Bible speaks of four baptisms for the New Testament saint. If after his salvation, he continues in this world alive. The first is the baptism into the body. This is a situation where the Holy Spirit places the newly born again into the family of God, the household of God, the body of Christ, or the church. This is basically a baptism of placement. Then we spoke of baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost, baptizing the Christian in the Holy Spirit, and thus empowering the Christian to serve God acceptably. Then we have baptism of suffering, which is where the Father arranges or orchestrates for the believer to go through trials, tribulations, temptations, with a view to proving, purging, purifying, and perfecting the Christian. We said that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the baptism of power, because you cannot do the work of God on your own. You need the power of God to do the work of God. The baptism of suffering is the baptism of proving, or the baptism of perfection, of perfecting the believer. Then we have water baptism, or what we commonly call Christian baptism, which is where the preacher or the minister of the gospel submerges the Christian into water, being a figure of the Christian's death, burial, and resurrection, akin to how Christ died, was buried, and was raised up to a newness of life, to a spiritual life, now living unto God. So must the Christian be baptized to live unto God. We said that water baptism is a physical act that mirrors a spiritual truth or spiritual reality of what has actually taken place, that he has been translated out of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and he makes a public declaration of such. We're going to be discussing more and more of this. But in our broadcast today, we want to talk on the baptism into the body or the baptism into one body. Let's begin by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses. I think we've discussed this before, where we said this is a figure of what happened when God brought Israel out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses, taking them to the land of promise. And by so doing, they became a part of God's congregation, as the Bible describes, in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. Likewise, baptism into the body is what happens when the Christian is brought under the leadership and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the body. We are a part of him. He is our leader. He is our head. And we do as he says. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 and 28, the Bible says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What is the Lord saying here? You have to understand what was happening with the Galatians. These were people who were being told that they needed to be circumcised again, according to Judaists so that that way they can be saved. And they believed it. 
And so Paul was writing to them that when you become born again and you are now baptized into Christ, there is no nationality. There is no socioeconomic status. There is no discrimination. We are all one. We're going to discuss this in some detail later. But more importantly, the baptism into one body is a spiritual union with Christ. And in that union, we lose our identity. We give up our identity and we take on a new identity in Christ. This is like what happens in a proper Christian marriage where the woman loses, as it were, her identity and takes on the identity of her husband. She bears his name. She lives in his home. She takes care of him. Everything is about the man in her life. That is similar to baptism in the body. So in baptism in the body, it therefore is the beginning of the branding of the believer as a disciple or a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Following the teachings of Christ, living by the teachings of Christ, developing and living according to the nature of Christ. He changes his old nature and has a new nature. He stops listening to the teachings of the world and the teachings of Satan and the teachings of school. He now lives by the teachings of Christ. He has a new identity. He's a new man. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, look. That's what that word behold says. Look. All things have become new. Everything about him is new. His ambitions of old have completely been wiped out. Now he has a vision, the vision of God. He doesn't have any ambition anymore. He's not doing anything for himself. He does everything that God wants him to do. The baptism into one body speaks to us about yielding to the leadership of Christ, taking on the identity of Christ, and truly being called Christians. The Bible says in Acts chapter 11 verse 26 that it was in Antioch the Syrian Antioch, that the disciples were called Christians for the first time. Christ-like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, from verse 12 to 27, it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. I'm going to read the scripture through, read some other scriptures. And then we'll now take some issues here and discuss them in line with what baptism into the body is about. And its implication for us as Christians. Verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the head, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism, that is, there should be no division in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. There should be no distinction, no discrimination. Verse 26, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ 
and members individually. Let's quickly look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 16 and 17. I won't be reading that. But it's basically telling us that when we have communion and we are eating the bread, what we are basically doing is we are breaking one loaf into several parts and we are having fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. A figure of each one of us being a part of one whole. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 7, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Talking of the character that a Christian should have. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, not just talking of one baptism, but the baptism itself is one. But you are having four different parts now. But it's one baptism. One God and Father of all. Who is above all and through all and in you all. Verse 7 is critical. It says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So even though we are one in purpose, yet we have different gifts. Differing as it were. And God made that for his own purpose. So nobody is doing what he's doing because he's a superstar. We're doing what we're doing because God has empowered us so to do. So let's summarize these scriptures and see some statements that we can make about baptism into the body. Through baptism into the body or into one body, all have become one, regardless of skin color, regardless of nationality, regardless of ethnicity, socioeconomic status, gender, and so on and so forth. We are all one. There's no discrimination in the church of God. There's no segregation in the church of God. Your tribesmen, your nations may be quarreling. But as Christians, we have no quarrel with anybody. We have no quarrels with one another. So if, for example, Iranians and Iraqis or Iranians and Americans have a beef amongst themselves as nations, if there is a Christian in any of these countries, they can never see the fellow Christian in the other country as an enemy. That Christian is a brother, is a sister is a member of the family. The bond of Christianity is meant to be stronger than the bond of nationality or ethnicity or skin color or gender. So all these things that the world is trying to do to bring about unity, God did that in Christ. The problem we're having is that men are now trying to create a scenario where they think they can bring their own things into the church. And that's because the church itself is not allowing itself to be sanctified. If we're sanctified, we would love all men, whether they are Christians or not. The Bible talks about the golden rule, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And it says, love your enemies. Give them water to drink. Give them food to eat if they are hungry. Persecution is not something that Christians should flinch at. The Lord said, be glad when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Rejoice, because so were the prophets of old also persecuted. So through baptism, all who are Christians have become one. We are one in purpose. We have one Father and one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We drink into the same spirit. The spirit of the fellow in America is not different from the spirit of the fellow in Nigeria. It's not different from the spirit of the fellow in Angola. It's not different from the spirit of the Christian that is in Asia. It's the same Holy Spirit. The doctrines don't change. It's the same doctrine. You should be excited when you see a, a fellow Christian outside, regardless of his skin color, regardless of whether he's poor or rich. No, there's nothing like that in Christianity. Nothing like that in the body of Christ. Second thing we want to know from what we've read is that there's nothing like an ethnic church. There's nothing like a national church. There's nothing like a racial church. All we have is the church of God. I remember a story that I read once or heard rather of John Wesley, who we call the founder of the Wesleyan movement or the Methodist church. 
whom God gave the privilege of getting to heaven. When he got to heaven, because he had this contention with the Church of England, they didn't want him to preach in their midst after he got born again. And he was going on and on that they are not born again and they are not going to be in heaven, except they are saved. So when he got to heaven, the first, of course, question he asked the angel was, are there any Anglicans here, any members of the Church of, of England here? The angel said, no. Uh-huh. He said, when I get back, I'm going to tell them. Then he asked, are there any Roman Catholics here? I said, oh, definitely not. not. Nothing like that. So, being excited about what was going on, he now asked, are there any Wesleyans, any Methodist people of his own congregation? And the angel said, no. So he was aghast. So who are the people here? They said, those who belong to Christ. If you belong to Christ, everyone is not interested in your denomination or who your leader is. If you're following Christ, that is the question. So we must understand that. That is what the baptism into the body is stressing here. Again, a Christian is a Christian is a Christian. There's nothing like denomination. There's nothing like ministry. There's nothing like my church. The church of God is global and local. I have to make this distinction at this point in time. The local church is a geographical congregation of believers in Christ who are sanctified and been sanctified. People who live in a geographically contiguous location, either scattered or gathered. That's the local assembly. So whether they are in a meeting or not, it is considered the church of God. God can speak to the church in that location. Whether they come for a meeting or not, they ought to hear the word of God. We now have several locations all over the world. All these gatherings in all these several locations, whether they are gathering or they are scattered in these several geographical locations, make up the global church of God. They all have one head. Christ is the head. They may have local figures. As we see in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, where the Lord asked John to write to the angel of the church of Ephesus, the angel of the church of Smyrna, the angel of the church of Pergamos, the angel of the church of Thyatira, of the church of Sardis, of the church of Philadelphia, of the church of the Laodiceans, the angel or the messenger or the representative or the head of these churches. And each one not controlled by another, which is what denominationalism sent to do. So the church of God is never broken into denominations. That's a human contraption. Each member in the church plays a pivotal role in the development and influence of the church of God on the earth. So you may think yourself to be nothing, but once you are a part of the body of Christ, you are playing a significant function. If you were the hair in the nostril, you are acting as a filter, preventing certain things from passing through the nostrils into the lungs or some other parts of the body. You are playing a major role. You may not be seen, you may not be known, but you're playing a major role. Because if you're not there, the nostrils will breathe in what you should not be breathing in and can damage the lungs and destroy it. So you have a pivotal role to play and you must play that role. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16, Matthew 5, 13 to 16, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of the Christian as salt, salt of the earth. And he spoke of the Christian as light of the world. He says, men do not hide light. They place it where all can see. Men put salt, a pinch of it in their food to sweeten it to season it, to make it palatable and edible. We live in an unpalatable world, but the Christian is there to make it palatable, playing a role, not only in the church, but also in society. We must stop politicizing the church and turning it into a weapon or into something that politicians can come and just mess around with. Another thing that we want to note about the baptism into the body is that there is no local assembly or individual that is superior to another in the body. There's no, nothing like that. We have different rules, yes. But there's none that is superior. That's why I said the eye cannot say it is more superior than the ears. If everything were the eye, where would be the hearing? So the eye cannot hear. The eye sees. The body needs the ears to hear. The body cannot receive anything 
in its ears through the eyes. No, the hands are there for handling. The hands cannot see. That's the role of the eyes. So the hands have its role to handle. The feet are there to move the body from one place to another. The feet are not there to handle things. No. So know your role and play your part. There's no room for superstarism in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ. Know your role and play your part. Can you imagine the hand wanting to play the function of the heart? That body is dead. It cannot. The hand is external. The heart is internal and it's playing a major role. If the heart should stop pumping, even the hand cannot function. So we need these teachings to stop us from having a dysfunctional church, but a church that is functional and effective in the world that is in. That is why God gave each individual through the spirit gifts for the purpose, for the role that we are supposed to play. If you are not given the gift to preach, don't preach. If you are not given the gift to teach, don't teach. There's a gift for you. Play the role that God has called you to play. Don't play a role because you want to be known or renowned. Which brings me to the issue of denominationalism again. Denominations are an aberration, a human invention. Just because we don't want to submit to the leadership and authority of Christ. Or because we want to take charge of our lives. Or because we want to become known all over the world as a founder. But that's not what God wants. A denomination is a church that is headquartered in a particular city, but has branches all over the world or all over a nation, as the case may be. God did not create an octopus. What God had in place was a local assembly and the global church. The local assembly is administered by Christ through the leaders in that local assembly, whom he chooses. And you don't see one assembly controlling another assembly. Each assembly has its own leadership under Christ. Yes, a message can come from one assembly to the next. There's no question about that. But when it comes to administration, each assembly has its own administration. And it is within the context of a geographical location. Otherwise, we're going to have schism like we're having now in the body. Where each denomination has suddenly read the Bible and they are bringing up their own doctrines. The doctrines of the church is the Bible. We cannot make up doctrines. We pick it from the Bible. You can't have your own doctrine distinct from the Bible. No. There's no revelation that is different from what is documented in the Bible. Another important thing that we want to note about the body. Since Christ, our head is holy. The whole body has to be holy. Fishermen will tell you that the moment you start having a putrefied odor from the head of the fish, you know that the entire fish is rotten. If the head is rotten, the entire body is rotten. So God tells us through Peter, he says, be ye holy for I am holy. The role of the Christian, the function of the Christian in the body is to maintain his holiness by yielding to God's direction through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, to remain holy so that the body can continue to be holy. The head being holy and now the body follows. Otherwise, we are going to have a situation like we have where we see a madman who is ripping his body to bits with all kinds of things, stripping himself naked and walking about. Nobody looks at the body and says that, oh, the heart is bad. Oh, they say the head is bad. And Christ, our head, is not corrupt. Christ, our head, is holy. So when we see a body that is acting contrary to the head, Christ, that cannot be the body of Christ. That body has a head, but that head is not Christ. And that body is not the body of Christ. And that is the sad issue about denominations. Denominations have a head that is not Christ, but they think it is Christ. It's a misnomer. I don't know how the Lord is going to do it. But the church of God needs to come under the authority of Christ and allow a revival to break forth within it, removing men from it and allowing God to take control of his church all over again. The other thing that we read here is that if one suffers, all suffer. 
What you do as an individual, one person in the local assembly impacts both the local assembly and the church as a whole. And indeed, the world that we live in for better or for worse, depending on whether what you are doing is the will of God. If it is the will of God, it impacts it for better. If it is not the will of God, it impacts it for worse. So we need to be careful. We need to be sure that we are doing the will of God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 2 verse 24. It says the name of God, the Amplifier says, is maligned and blasphemed because of you. What we are doing as Christians is impacting negatively on the local assembly, on the global church, and indeed on the world, and even on God. We must understand what it means, therefore, that having been baptized into the body, holiness is the watchword. We must live as God wants us to live. If he says, turn the other cheek, you turn the other cheek. Because you cannot turn the other cheek, you say, well, I don't know what God means about this, but I wouldn't turn another cheek. That's you, but don't teach it. Teach the word of God. You may be struggling with it, but that is not what you are to teach. Don't teach us what you are struggling with. Teach us the word of God. And then when you have taught it, go and pray and cry to God and say, Lord, don't let me become disqualified after I have taught this. Give me the grace to turn the other cheek. One suffers, all suffer. Remember what we spoke about, the salt and the light in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. The Lord Jesus Christ said that in one place, if the salt has lost its saltiness, wherewith will it be salted again? Men will just grab it and throw it on the road and trample over it. That's what we see today. Many Christians are being trampled on their feet. Why? There's no saltiness. They are part of the problem instead of being a part of the solution. We are picking political associates, left, right, and center, without even consulting with Almighty God, without trying to know what God is saying. We're on social media and vomiting things that we should not even be saying. In one place, the Lord said, if what you call light is darkness, how great is the darkness? Sadly, many believers today, the darkness that is around them is indeed very great. Again, we want to note from all we've read that each Christian is placed in a specific part of the body for a specific purpose by the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't be working at cross purposes or engaging in activities we are not called and equipped to engage in. That would be dead works. Remember when we looked at repentance from dead works, works that God does not initiate, that God is not involved in, that God is not implementing. We shouldn't be doing it. Those are dead works. You are placed in a local assembly by the Holy Spirit and you have a role to play. You have a purpose. Allow him to lead you. It may not be something that people are excited about. Don't bother. You are going to be graded in heaven by what God asked you to do, not by what somebody else told you to do or what you thought was the right thing to do. No, you cannot, for example, write a math exam that you set for yourself or somebody else. The examiner must be the one setting the exam for you to take and to pass. So we need to be very careful. Again, each Christian in the local assembly that God puts you is where you will be nurtured and matured. Just like when you enter into the home as a baby, you are nurtured and you are matured. You are taught the things that you need to be taught. In Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 11, it says, And he himself, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You are put in that local assembly so that you can be equipped, you can be edified, you can be taught on how you are going to be involved in ministry. You are nurtured there. You are matured there. You are a useful part of the local assembly. Go there and learn and see yourself as committed to the local assembly. Don't think that you are different from other people. Some of us go to church. The moment the church is over, we run away. 
Nobody knows us. We don't know anybody. Until the day we need help, then we go and they say, but we don't know you. And you start to buy an anomaly city. But where were you? The church is not just there because you need the help. The church also wants you to be involved in its day-to-day -day activities, in the things that God wants the church to do. You must be a part of the church. Let me continue. It says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. These teachings continue until we get to the place of maturity that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine in the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. If we were being taught as we ought to in the local assemblies, if the ministers are doing their job, there's no need for us to be driven to and fro by all kinds of things. Some people are doing all kinds of crazy things and saying God said and God did not say in the written word is not there. And we're doing all kinds of things and we're actually defending it. We're defending Christmas, which is not scriptural. We're defending Easter, which is not scriptural. What is scriptural is that we should celebrate the death of the Lord till he comes. We should show it. We should declare it. Because many people are saying Christ did not die. Show it that he died by communion. That's what we show. But we are turning it into something else. You will be healed by communion. You will not die by God. What are we talking about? Is that what the Lord is saying? Each Christian must be committed, active, and effective in their local assembly where the Holy Spirit has put them. Don't become somebody that is just carried along. No, be a part of the body. Play your role in the body. Another important thing, we are interdependent, not independent in the local assembly. And even in the global assembly, there is interdependence. Remember when Paul wrote to Colossae, he told Colossae to send what he has written to them to the church of the Laodiceans and that what he wrote to the church of the Laodiceans they should take and also read. We can exchange notes when the Lord Jesus Christ wrote to the churches in Asia, modern day Turkey, Ephesus, Minor, Pegamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and the Laodicean church. He said after writing to each of the angels of the churches, let him that hath an ear hear what the spirit says to the churches. Paul has written to the Corinthian church, but you and I are reading it today. He wrote to Ephesus. You and I are reading it today. Why? What he has written to one church is for all believers. It's to a local assembly yet. It's for the consumption of the global assembly. So we are interdependent. We are not independent. I need you. I think there's a song like that, that says, I need you. You need me. We are all a part of God's family. If we read Ephesians chapter 4 and continue to verse 15 that we read, we stopped at 14, continue to verse 15 and 16, it says, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. When you are now matured in the body, you have a role to play in being a blessing to the other people in your local assembly. You are not supposed to be a receiver at all times and not giving anything in return. In Romans chapter 12, verse 6 to 8, the Bible says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in the proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who lives with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Each one has a gift. Use the gift to be a blessing. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 6, he says, Let him that is taught communicate with him that teaches him of his substance. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, the 17 and 18 or so, he says, Let those elders... Who teach the word of God. 
are worthy of double honor. That is of being given things. You don't need a pastor to be teaching tithe and offering every Sunday. You should know by the Spirit of God that you should be a blessing, not just to the pastor who is teaching you that's correct, but there are people in your congregation, other members of your local assembly who need your help. There are many people who continue to give money to their pastors, give money to their pastors, give cash to their pastors, and the pastors are acting like hell that has no end to receiving things. Meanwhile, what you need to help the brother sitting next to you in that congregation is a thousand times less than what you have given to that pastor. And he would be blessed tremendously. But no, we don't do that. Talk to God. And God will lead you and say, bless this fellow. Ask him what he wants and give to him. Another thing that we note from what we've read, you cannot be in the body and be living contrary to the head or against the will of Christ. You can't. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, where the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to the church of the Laodiceans and said, you are neither hot nor cold. Because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out. We need to understand that being baptized into the body means that we are under the leadership of Christ. We cannot be in the body and be living contrary to him and be acting contrary to him and say that we are in the body. There are some assemblies that have been spewed out. Some denominations, even though they are there making noise, they have been spewed out long ago by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are acting contrary to his will. If we are in the body, our primary goal is the will of God. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Before saying, give us this day our daily bread. The will of God is important. The Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 4 to his disciples, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish it. That should be our focus. What is the will of God? When we wake up in the morning, Lord, what is your will? Another thing that we need to add here, we are not to forsake the assembling together of one another. As Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 10, 23 to 26, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the days approaching. The essence of the assembly is not just for fellowship of toying around. No, it's to exhort, to encourage one another, to show love, to show kindness, to show the things of God. Verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. In Hebrews chapter 3, it talks about what we need to do. Verse 13 particularly, I want you to read from 7 to the end. But verse 13 particularly says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another. Because the times are hard, the times are tough. There's deceitfulness of sin around. We are doing things and we are encouraging ourselves that it is right. It is not okay. In Acts chapter 16, verse 12, reading further, you'll see that when Paul and his team got into Macedonia, they went to a place where women gathered to pray. And that was where they spoke to the first of their converts, I think was Lydia or so. And from there, the church of the Philippians was born in assembling together. So let's not forsake the assembling together of one another. Here in the case of Paul, they went just because they were Jews. They sought for where Jews had gathered to talk to them. They gathered ostensibly to pray. And so I'm sure the Master said, this prayer that you pray, you are praying, what is it about? When you are away from your office, Maybe you've gone to a new location for business transaction, whatever. Find a local assembly there. Don't estrange yourself because sin has a way of attacking you when you're away from your home, from your family. Look for a body to be supportive of you. Be a part of that church whilst you're in that place. Finally, note that you are accountable to the leadership and members of the local assembly into which you have been placed by the Holy Spirit. 
You are not on your own. You are not supposed to be running around on your own. No, you are accountable to the leadership. You are also accountable to other members. Allow people to hold you accountable. That is why we're having a situation now where everybody believes that the only person they're accountable to is their general overseer. They're not even accountable to the local pastor. There are some people that the local pastors cannot talk to because they hobnob with the general overseer of the denomination. This is the danger of denominationalism. You are accountable to the local assembly, to the leadership of the local assembly. You are accountable not only to the leadership, you are accountable to every single member because you are intricately intertwined. You are part of each other. So you are accountable to them because what you do affects every one of them. So be careful what you are doing because you are a part of the body. This is the doctrine of the baptism into one body. The baptism into the body of Christ. You must understand that if you are born again, you have been baptized into the body of Christ globally and locally. That local assembly, the Holy Spirit will send you there. Pray to him. He will lead you to a local assembly where you will be nurtured, where you will be matured, where you will be accountable to the leadership and accountable to all the members. Find that assembly. I don't know about church size these days, but the size of our churches are too enormous for anybody to actually be able to pinpoint somebody else. You see people, when you go to the office, you see people misbehaving and you wonder, and they are Christians. You go to the hospital, you see nurses misbehaving. You see doctors misbehaving. They are not treating their patients. They are angry at everybody. You go to restaurants, people are treating you as if you are dirt. And these are Christians who go to church, not to talk of the police station. And you see the way policemen are misbehaving. You go to customs, every facet, especially of the Nigerian society. And these people go to church. They say they are Christians. They say they are the body of Christ. Where is the influence of the church? And then you see some leaders speak with arrogance, quarreling against the government. How do you do that? Did they read Romans chapter 13 or they threw it out of their Bible? It's not there that we are to be subject to all authority. Or did they throw out 1 Peter chapter 2, I think from verse 18 down, that tells us to be in obedience to governments, to presidents and governors and magistrates? What are we doing? Leaders need to come together and sit down and ask themselves questions. You are getting out of control of God. And doing things on your own. It's unfair on the young people whose lives you are damaging. Like the Bible says, you travel far and wide to proselyte one person. And then when you bring him in, you turn him to twice the child of Satan. What are we doing? We are damaging, destroying the body, which ought not to be. May the Lord have mercy on us. And may the Lord help us. Before I close, I'd like to breathe a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that what we have heard today will burn deep in our hearts, will challenge us and chastise us. And bring us to the place of realization that you are God in heaven. That you put things in place. You wrote it in your book and gave it to us. That you have given us your spirit. But many of us have rebelled against you. We have walked contrary to you. Oh Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. The things that we see happening today is because of the way we have lived contrary to you. Father, forgive us. Father, show us mercy. Father, show us kindness. Our church leaders have corrupted themselves. They have lived as they liked. But Lord, you know all these things. Speak to them in the privacy of their rooms. When they are sitting on the toilet bowl. When they are quiet in the bathroom. Speak to them. You can break through and reach them. So that they do not destroy the younglings in their congregation. I pray for the listeners. That Father, you challenge every one of us. Having been chastised. You will show us kindness and mercy. And you will change our lives and turn us around. Thank you everlasting Father. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen.